Impact Church podcast. Today we're carrying on and are preparing to possess the promise, our boot camp sermon series. And we're talking about derive. We're talking about how all of our life, our, our future, our inheritance, everything that we have, we find our source in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So grab your Bibles. Let's get ready to dig into what it means to be a sharer, a participant in the resurrection life of Christ. Awkwardly with a very funny joke, but uh, I always get booed so hard. I actually do. Like uh, my kids, we drive home, we get in the car, and they're so embarrassed. They're like, "Dad, you embarrassed us so much." Last time I told a joke, y'all groaned so hard. But I was gonna, I was gonna tell you about my friend who uh, all of a sudden doesn't like to shoot his bow and arrow anymore. So I talked to him, and I was like, "Hey, what's going on? How come you don't like to shoot? Like it's a lot of fun." He's like, "I don't know. It just, it just makes me quiver." <laughs> Oh, the guy who was afraid of his bow and arrow because it made him quiver. Okay, all right, all right. So it's the volume. It's not, oh, okay, all right. I'll get some thumbs down. Okay, well, I won't ask you what you call an alligator who wears a vest then because we all know it's an investigator, but. <laughs> Note to self, never do that again. Actually, do you know what? I, just a little bit of me. I, uh, I really enjoy watching people squirm awkwardly trying to tell jokes. That's the funny part. So I'm actually laughing at myself while we're up here. <laughs> it's good not to take yourself seriously, right? I love what it says in the Bible where uh, David, he said, you know what? May the, the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's good stuff, eh? It's good not to take yourself seriously and to know it's, it's the word of the Lord. It's the power of God. And God's here. He's here to change lives today. He's here to do some stuff. And uh, I just really appreciated the worship. I don't know what else is going on today, too. I'm really procrastinating right now, but I'm, I'm really having a moment. It's just really, really nice to see everybody. It really is to see, like, see old faces, to see new faces, old faces, to see everybody working together, to see things happening, to see everybody in a new building. It's just, we're, we're church, you know? Family. It's really cool. Sometimes this stuff just gets me. A little bit more lately. I don't know what's going on with me, but... Uh, anyways, it's good to see you. And with that, I'll get into this. I'll stop procrastinating. But uh, so we're, as Pastor Cheryl said, we're talking about boot camp. We're talking about preparing to possess the promise. And as, if you know, and maybe you're, you're but screaming at you right now, we're in transition. We're, we're somewhere uncomfortable, somewhere a little bit new. We're on our way from one place to another. And uh, I don't know about you, but I found the beautiful thing about being part of a church family is that sometimes the, the situations in my life coincide with what's going on in the broader community that I've been attached to. So I don't know if there's anybody here who can also resonate with the idea of transition, not just we're transitioning because, you know, we're in a different building and we're waiting to go somewhere else, but if God's planted you in a local church, sometime you're going to find that my life and my circumstances also coincide with the corporate life of the body of Christ that I've been attached to. So some people, maybe you're relocating. Maybe you're, you know, you've got a new situation in life, a new relationship, a new season of life altogether. But life is actually, whether you're aware of it or not, life is full of transitions. It really is. So you got to do these things well. We really got to move from one season of life to the next. The Bible talks about how there's a season for everything, a time for everything. And part of life is really understanding the time that you're in and knowing how to function well in it. So the first week, uh, as Pastor Cheryl said, Pastor Carl was talking about declutter. And the, the thing about decluttering is this. Sometimes you've got to let something go from a previous season when you're going into a new one. Sometimes you have to be intentional about it. Sometimes just because life has changed doesn't mean you've changed. Sometimes, like, you know, as, as Pastor Carl said, no matter where you go, there you are. You're always bringing yourself to where you go. 
simple but profound. So if something doesn't change and it doesn't match the new circumstance that you're in, you might end up in a situation where you've brought from an old season into a new season uh, an attitude, a mindset, a habit, uh, maybe a way of living that's just not compatible with where you're moving into. And sometimes it's not even a bad thing. You know, sometimes that invitation to be reflective and think about where, you know, what am I bringing with me into a new season? It's not because there's something bad. Sometimes it's the good that can be the enemy of the best. Sometimes we got to recognize something was good in my life for a time and a season. This, this relationship, this situation, this job, whatever it is, it was good. It served a purpose. It was good, but now I'm moving on. And sometimes you need to declutter your life of both good things and bad things. Sometimes you just can't take into a new season something. And Jesus said that too, didn't he? He said you can't, bring, you can't put new wine in an old wineskin. So sometimes you got to move along, and life has to look like that too. Last week talked about determine and, and how it's, it's good. God said to Joshua, be strong and be very courageous. And I love how Pastor Carl brought up the, the picture of the tank man at Tiananmen Square, Rosa Parks. Like we've got some incredible examples of, of bravery and, and outward acts of courage and bravery, but courage doesn't always have to look like that big, bold act. It doesn't have to look like you standing in front of a tank. Sometimes the most courageous thing you can do is to be honest. Sometimes the most courageous thing you can do is show up again in a relationship and expose yourself to hurt and pain. Sometimes that's the most courageous thing you can do is to speak the truth. Sometimes it's not standing in front of a tank or doing something incredibly brave like that. So we want to make sure that courage uh, is, is a feature of our lives. We strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We're strong and very courageous and able to show up in life wholeheartedly, able to do the big acts of bravery, but also able to live authentic lives because we don't have things like insecurity in our lives, kind of because we're too afraid to show up. We're too afraid to get rejected or we're too afraid to be hurt. And we don't have courage in that area, so we hide and we hold back. So courage looks like a whole bunch of different things. And I'm glad we talked about that last week. It's vital. It's absolutely necessary. And this week, we're going to talk about a new word. It's not a very popular word. It's a, it's a weird one. But it's the perfect word to talk about what I want to say today. It's the word derive. Probably not familiar. We don't use that in our everyday language, in our everyday usage. But, but it means to take or to obtain from a particular source. Like maybe you've heard somebody say, this word derives its meaning from an old Latin word. The idea being that there's something that you have in your life, but you can identify where its source and its origin is from. And that's what we want to talk about today. And I want to talk about it in the context of the resurrection. So whether you like this, uh, this word or not, whether this word sticks or not, I'm going to give you the sermon in just a little soundbite right here. It's all about this. It's all about resurrection. The big idea is this. We must be grounded in order to move in and successfully engage the season that God has for us corporately and as individuals. What we have to do is we have to be grounded and settled in the reality of Jesus' resurrection as the source, the spring of our lives, our futures, and our inheritance. See, everything God wants to do in our lives, it comes out of the life of his son. The goodness of God, all the good stuff that God is going to give us, all the good things that God has for us, it comes in the package of Jesus. He's not just the celestial force out there who's dispensing favors. The blessing of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the prosperity of God, it all comes to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And what God wants to do in our lives is he wants to bring these things into our lives through us. Through the resurrection life and power of Jesus Christ inside of us, God would build our lives from the inside out. 
And we got to see that what's going in the future is not going to happen because we are sitting back as bystanders waiting for God to rearrange the deck chairs of our lives. But because we've been raised up together with Jesus, he is going to fix the world. He's going to transform things. And he's going to bring us into a full experience of what's next for all of us by us engaging and connecting with the internal, eternal life of Jesus on the inside of us. That is Christianity 101, but unfortunately, it's kind of lost sometimes when we have these big expectations for God to do stuff. But sometimes you just got to take a little bit of time and reconnect with the fact that God can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine, but it's according to his power at work in you. It is through you and it is in us that God wants to do what he wants to do. So we're not kind of connected with a uh, kind of a, a picture of a, a genie in a bottle kind of God. We're connected with a God who actually wants to create reality through the things that we say. We're connected to a God who wants to change the world when we show up because the life of Jesus is so strongly inside of us. And we got to connect with that. So you might be asking, now how does this connect to Joshua? How how's this, how's this relate to possessing the promise? How does this have anything to do with the book of Joshua? Well, I want to share this with you. Joshua chapter 1 verse 11. God has just said to Joshua, Moses is dead. I want to need you to be strong. I need you to be very courageous. You're going to lead these people in. And then he says to Joshua, go through the camp, tell the people, get your provisions ready, because three days from now, you're going to cross the Jordan. You're going to go and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So three days. And again, you might think, well, where's the resurrection? And this is the big idea that I really want you to grasp today. Because I'm telling you, if you can get this, there's a whole bunch of other stuff in the Old Testament that'll make a lot of sense. But here's the big idea for today. Uh, when the Bible speaks in the Old Testament about the third day, it's a prophetic picture of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So any reference in the Old Testament to third day, this, this event, that event happened on the third day or day three, God's trying to say to us, hey, here's an illustration, a picture, an example, something you can wrap your hands around that actually really helps you to understand what the resurrection means for us. So an example of this is the Apostle Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 4, he says he was buried, Jesus was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, you can look through the Old Testament, and you're not going to find a verse that says, you know, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is going to become a man, and he's going to, you know, be born in this year. He's going to be raised. He's going to be crucified by the Romans under Pontius Pilate. He's going to be raised from the dead three days later and pop out of the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. You're not going to find that kind of detail in the Old Testament, but you are going to find prophetic references to third-day scriptures. And Jesus does the same thing. He just does, did it a little bit more explicitly than Paul. So, I don't know if you remember the story of Jonah, where the prophet, you know, God wants him to bring a word to the, the city of Nineveh. And I think Jonah didn't really like the Ninevites, and he knew that God was a gracious and a merciful person. So he didn't want to give them any warning. So he goes, he runs in the other direction, takes a ship. And uh, basically, Jonah and the people on the ship, the sailors, they come to the conclusion that the big storm that we're experiencing right now, the only solution is to throw Jonah overboard. So Jonah chapter 1 verse 17, the story picks up where it says that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. A third day reference. Now Jesus, he references the same story, Luke eleven thirty. He says, for Jonah was a sign. Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, and so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And again, in Matthew 12, 39 to 40, he says, a wicked, and a, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
So Jesus, he's very explicitly, he's taken a story in the Old Testament, a reference to third day, three days, and he said, that finds its fulfillment in me. That's a picture of what's happening to me. So I, I belabored this point a little bit because I really want you to see, because if you get this, there's a lot of third day stuff in the Old Testament that we're just not going to get to today because there's just so much. But if you see this, you can go read the Bible for yourself and Holy Spirit will bring out some more of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus for your life too. See, in Luke 24, 30, 46, Jesus, he's raised from the dead. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. It was written. On the third day, he would raise from the dead. So again, references help us understand that. I hope that kind of really beat that horse, dead horse to death, but I really need you to get that in order for the rest of this to make sense. Because Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. We all know that. And you know what? So how does this connect with Joshua? Well, here's the thing. I think when God has Joshua and the people parked at, you know, the edge of the river, and he says to them, you know what, guys, I need you to wait here for three days. I want you to wait here for three days. I think that the people of Israel didn't really understand why. I think God asked a lot of people in the Old Testament, and this might help you again when you're reading the Old Testament. I mean, that's popped up a few times in some of our small groups. What do we, how do we use the Old Testament? How does this make sense? Well, sometimes there's things that happen to those people that didn't make any sense to them, and they didn't really know what was going on. So to look at some of those stories and to come to a full conclusion of what's happening apart from the reality of Jesus, sometimes that's a little bit tricky. But God said through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, he said, these things happen to those people as examples for us. They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So sometimes God's asking these people to do things. They don't really know what's going on. They don't know why. I think it was because it was a type of Jesus. Jesus was going to go and prepare a place for us, and it was going to take three days. But I do think God wanted these people to know. He wanted them to know, you know what, guys? You can't just wake up one day and decide that the promised land is something you're just going to walk into. You can't just wake up one day and say, you know what, God, I think I'm going to transition into this, and I think my own strength, my own power, my own might, my own ability is going to make this happen. I think he wanted them to know, you know what, guys, there's a specific day. Don't go on day one. Don't go on day two. Don't go on day four. Go on day three because I want to communicate something special to you, but I also want you to marinate and sit in the reality that you can't make this happen by yourself. You need me. You need to follow my directions in this case. And I think the same is true for us. See, whatever you believe is on the other side of our transition, either for us corporately or for you individually. As, as Ron said, some of the things that you're believing for, whatever you're believing for, God wants it firmly fixed in your heart. That's not something that's happening by your own strength, might, power, or ability. And if it is, I'd say dream a little bigger. If you're stuck in a vision for your life that's something you feel that you can pull off, aim higher. Join and partner your faith to Jesus and go for something a little bit more because it's not just about what we can do. We need to partner our faith together with Jesus. So God really wants us to understand, you know what, guys, take some time. There's a transition period because I need you to know. I need you to really understand that there's something I have for you that you can't do by yourself. So if you're discouraged and you're frustrated and you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know how I'm going to make this happen. I don't know how this transition is going to happen. I, I've got a picture and a vision of what I want to see, but I just don't know how I'm going to get there. You know what? You're in a good spot. That's where you should be. Because we want to have make room. We want to be able to partner with Jesus in faith. We want to be able to join our faith with him. And we want to be able to say, God did something in my life that I couldn't do. God did something through us that's so much bigger than what I could make happen. But I also think, you know, he had these guys park at the, at the, the Jordan and say he got three days because it was going to take Jesus three days to bring us into the promised land. Right? Day one, he dies on the cross. Day two, he has a ministry in the place of the dead. 
You can read about it in Peter, and he's in the tomb, and it's on the third day that he rose from the dead. It was a bit of a prophetic act, but Jesus went and prepared a place for us. Now, here's where Pastor Carl said, you know, Joshua and Ephesians, they, uh, they, they're kind of parallel books. And here's another big idea for today. Joshua is a book about a guy who brought a people into their physical inheritance. The book of Ephesians is about a guy who brought the whole world into our spiritual inheritance, Jesus. Jesus brought us all in. So in Joshua chapter 1, verse 11, where he talks to the people and he says, guys, just wait here for three days. There's something I need you to do. Get yourself ready. Get your provisions ready. I think the parallel for that in the book of Ephesians is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to 20, where instead of God saying to the people, sit here, get, I don't know, pack up your tent, get your food ready, get your canned peaches ready, whatever you do when you go camping. He's not saying that. He's saying in the New Testament, he's saying, guys, get your provisions ready, get your revelation ready. He's saying, get rooted, get grounded in the revelation of the third day truth. Get grounded in the revelation of the resurrection, because that is what's going to propel you forward, and that's the power that's going to be at work in your life when you step into the promises that you believe are there for you. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to 20, the Apostle Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of which he exerted when? When he raised Christ from the dead. See, the Apostle Paul here, he's not praying that people get more power. He's praying, you know what, take some time and get a revelation of the power that you have. See, what we're lacking in order to walk into a future promise from God is not God to show up and do something to us and give us more power. Now, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a real event. We all need it. It's on the other side of the resurrection. If you've been joined your faith together with Jesus, you are qualified to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You are qualified to operate in the gifts and the power of God. But I'm telling you, what we need is a revelation of the power that we have more than we need God to come and give more to us. So if the paradigm is, God zap me, and then I'm going to be able to transition— God, I'm lacking something from you. Give me more. Do more to me in order to make me capable and competent to walk into what you have for me. That's the wrong paradigm. And you might end up like the Israelites, walking around 40 years after 40 years, never actually getting into where you need to get into. Because the question is not, God, do I have enough? The question is, do I realize I have it? That's why he's praying. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart are opened. I'm asking that you would be flooded with light, not that you would get more power, but that you would see the power that resides inside of you by virtue of you having been raised from the dead. So it says in the book of uh, Romans, it says, you know, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the spirit of God that we have inside of us, it's not just a, a tiny little influence who occasionally gives us a goosebump. That's the person that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the person who defeated death. That's the person who took a body that absorbed the sins of the whole world and raised it back to life. That's the person that lives on the inside of us. That's the power of God at work in us. I tell you, you just talk about it. You just think about it. And I'll tell you, you'll start to feel it on the inside of you. It's because we're not lacking. We're not missing. We're just disconnected in our thought life. And we're disconnected in the revelation that we carry. But I'm telling you, God has raised us up together with Jesus. And that's what we need. We need to have that confidence moving forward. That's what we need to see in order to move into what God has for you. And it's not that God's holding out on us. Again, it's we got to see it. We just got to understand it. Hosea chapter 6 verse 2, the prophet prophesied in the Old Testament, after two days he will revive us. 
And on the third day, he'll raise us up. He'll raise us up that we might live in his sight. Ephesians 2, 4 to 6 says, but God made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up together with him. Here's the revelation you need to have when you're walking into your future and you're engaging the things that God has for you. You have been raised from the dead with Jesus. Your body's going to die. There is a generation of people that that won't happen to. The Lord is coming. And when he comes, he is going to change us in the twinkling of an eye. And there's people who will not experience death. Their body will be transformed just like that. But I tell you what, your body might die, but you never will. You never will. If you believe in Jesus, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet will he live. That life, that eternal, this is the beauty of Christianity. The power of the afterlife is working in our lives today. How good is that? So, I mean, we're not waiting. We're not waiting till we die. We're not waiting for a future dispensation. We're by faith connecting with the reality of the fact that the risen one lives inside of me. His resurrection is my resurrection, and I come alive when I realize that. When I connect to that fact, something inside of me awakens, and I have a power source inside of me that I feel confident by faith releasing when I walk through life in a way that I just couldn't before. And it's not that it isn't inside of me. It's that faith, the faith of God on the inside of me awakens me to this reality, and it's like turning on the hose, and it just gushes out of you. That's what faith will do for you. That's what revelation will do for you. It's a realization of something that's true. And it's like turning on the tap. I mean, the water's already there. It's already pushing its way through the pipe. It's right at the edge of the hole. You just got to turn it on. And faith turns that on. Being able to say, yes, I see myself in him. He is alive inside of me and he has made me alive. And by virtue of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, by virtue of my resurrection with him, I am a co-heir with him, and I have been, get this, I have been raised up and born into an inheritance. See, Jesus fought the fight for me. Jesus secured my inheritance. That's why the eyes of my heart are being opened to see the riches of his inheritance in the saints. Because I'm not entering into a battle. I'm not about to fight for my inheritance. I'm about to enforce the fact that he already won it for me. And I'm saying, devil, get your hands off of my life. Get your hands off of my health. Get your hands off of my finances. Get your hands off of my family. And that's not a fight I have to win. That's a victory I have to announce. I got to show up. I got to say it. I got to say, devil, get lost. I got to speak it into my world. I got to have faith. I got to partner my faith to Jesus and say, I'm blessed. I'm prospered. I'm healed. I got to be able to identify the things that have been prophesied over my life and fight the good fight of faith and wage war with the prophecies given to us. I gotta, we got to do that. We got to show up. There's some participation that we need to have, but it's got to be rooted in the fact that I know that fight is already won. That battle's over. Jesus, the victorious one, brought me into inheritance, and I have been raised up into it, born into it. I'm not fighting for it. Peter said it too. He said, we've been begotten again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we've also been begotten through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an incorruptible inheritance. We have an inheritance by birthright. If you want to understand that a little bit, you can unpack it in the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look at some things today that are going to help us to understand what is that inheritance. But you've got to see what you're fighting for, what you're transitioning into. The good thing that God's promised you in your life, that you can trust him, that he's going to be faithful to make happen in your world. You've got to know that you have a right to it. You're entitled to it by birth. You're not trying to qualify for it. You're not trying to earn it. You're not trying to prove to God that you're worthy of the promise that he spoke over your life. You're saying yes to it. You're saying, thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you that I have been born into this. You know, you are a child of God because you are joined together with the life of his son. It's not because you did anything. You are a co-heir with Jesus because you're joined together with him by life. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus joined us in our death, gave us his life, and raised us all up together with him. How good is that? By virtue of your union with him, you are qualified for every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You can see that again in Ephesians as well. Speak it out. You got to say it. There's a little bit of a fight to go through, but it's a fight of enforcing the victory that already happened. And you can read later in the book of Ephesians, he talks about spiritual warfare. And we'll get into that, I'm sure, in the book of Joshua. There is a fight. But the fight is, I'm born into this. This is my inheritance. I'm worthy of this. I deserve this. Why do I deserve it? Because I'm joined together with Jesus. I mean, we got to get rid of the kind of thinking that says, you know, I feel so unworthy. I feel so shameful. I feel so guilty. I feel like this good thing couldn't happen to me. We got to get rid of the language that says, I'm fighting and contending to get what God wants from me. See, what Joshua did, he brought people, well, he's supposed to bring people into rest. Read about that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and chapter 4. The promised land is all about rest. It's all about entering into that place where my fight and my struggle is over. And I've recognized and realized that I have all that I have thanks to Jesus Christ. And it's being confident enough and audacious enough to believe ridiculous things like that. Why can't I be healed? Why do I have to wear my glasses? Why do I have to be constantly broke? Do you know what I mean? You ask yourself those questions. I, I mean, if that's a thing for you, why? See, God is, he says that he's not only given us his son, but in his son, he's going to give us all things. How will he also freely not give us all things? And those all things come to us wrapped in the package of the person of Jesus Christ. It's not we're rubbing a genie and saying, God out there somewhere in the universe, do something for me. It's coming to us through Jesus Christ. So there's some amazing pictures in the Old Testament that help us to understand what this inheritance is. This wonderful thing that we've been born into. And I remember how I said about the third day. Third day references in the Old Testament help us to unpack and understand what Jesus did for us and what that means. So I'm just going to show you a couple of them. But there are literally so many. Like, you can go through this on your own time. Go through the Old Testament. I don't know, do, look in a concordance, type it in Google or whatever. I don't know. But I tell you, you'll find so much. But when you understand and you connect with the fact that you've been raised together with Jesus, when you spend those proverbial three days and you let yourself gather supplies, gather revelation, when you say, I'm not stepping out on day one, two, or four, I'm going to step out in the strength and the power of third day power, resurrection life, there's a couple things that you can begin to expect in your life. First of all, it's going to be a time of production, and it's going to be a time of harvest. Genesis chapter 1, 12, and 3, it says, And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and the evening and the morning were the third day. The third day is a picture of harvest. The third day is a picture of those things that you feel are stuck and unresponsive in your life. Those areas of your life where you feel like you've been sowing and sowing and sowing and not reaping. Those things that you've been believing for, believing and believing and not seeing any fruit. 
the stuff that you've been trying to see happen and change, the things that you've been sowing into, when you connect, and I tell you, when you engage this, these things again with faith and confidence in the resurrection, not just in, the, in, in you know, some, some thought that God is you know, positive towards me, but he demonstrated his positivity toward me. He demonstrated his goodness towards me when he raised me from the dead with Jesus. When you connect that expectation to resurrection power, then you're going to see things change. Then you're going to start to see life happen. Then you're going to start to see these unresponsive areas that are unproductive and unfruitful. You're going to start to see these things come to pass. On the other side of transition, on the other side of faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is a life for us that is one of harvest, one of plenty, one of abundance, one of productivity, and one of fruitfulness. And it starts to happen because you've joined your faith to resurrection power, not because you've necessarily even done anything different. See, the just shall live by faith. A lot of things respond to faith, but it's where's the faith? What's our faith into? And the Apostle Paul focuses our attention really deeply and says you need to have your faith rooted firmly in the power of God expressed through the person of Jesus, not just in, in, in random benevolence. Does that make sense? God is good. He loves us. But how did he show his love towards us? He gave his only son. God is good. He has kindness and good intentions for us. And where do we find those? in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the door. Third day is the time of provision, Genesis 22, 4 to 5. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw a place afar off. And Abraham said to the people with him, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder. Go yonder. Look at that. We'll go yonder and worship, and we'll come back to you. I don't know if you know the story, but God asked uh, Abraham to sacrifice his son. So, uh, you know, Abraham didn't know that that wasn't really God's intention. He wasn't going to ask him to follow through with it. But full of faith, he said, you know what? Okay, I'm in. I'm going to do it. But look at the faith he had in resurrection. He says, the lad and I, we will come back to you. And when they're at top of the mountain and, and Abraham's starting to get the stuff ready for the sacrifice, Isaac says to his dad, hey, where's the, where's the lamb? Not knowing that he was supposed to be the one. That... And Abraham says to him, you know what, son? God will provide a lamb. God will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. And you know what? God provided a lamb. And God provided a lamb for us. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord is my provider, but it means something very specific. The Lord has provided a lamb for me. That means that in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, when I connect with resurrection life and resurrection faith, I am born into a life and existence that is free from sin, free from shame, free from guilt, free from condemnation, because he's provided a lamb. That's the provision of God for my life. So here's some things to declutter. Guilt. Shame. There's a difference. You know, sometimes guilt can tell you, you know, what you did was bad, and it screams at you. And often it partners with that thing called shame that says you did bad because you are bad. That's not something we need to carry with us. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a loud declaration that God has provided a solution to that problem. Guilt and shame have no place in our lives. Condemnation has no place in our lives. And when we transition and we want to start walking in the promises of God, and you find yourself taking steps of, and you're risking and you're stepping out there to do things with God, and you've still got a nagging voice in the back of your mind saying, I don't, I'm not worthy. You're too dumb. You're too stupid. You don't have enough money. You're not smart enough. Remember the last time you failed? The voice that brings to your mind the accusation that somebody else said to you in the past 
and it keeps playing like a record over your head, the resurrection says you get to live without that. God provided a lamb. God provided the land. The blood of Jesus deals with all of that stuff. So we're transitioning into a life where we're going to confidently, like Pastor Cheryl said, we're going to boldly approach God, and we're going to boldly approach the good things that God has for us with none of that in our lives. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says that Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses, and he was raised because of our justification. The resurrection says, I'm justified. I get to, a funny little word trick, but I get to live just as if I'd never sinned. That can be a reality for each of us because the blood of Jesus is so powerful. And when you connect with third day resurrection life, when you start to live out of that, that stuff has no place. And it doesn't have the power to pull you down, trip you up, and cause you to, you know, have a couple steps forward in confidence and then shrink back because you start to feel the shame again. That's gone. That's done. There's a power from God to dispel that completely out of your life. On the third day, it says in Exodus, then it came to pass on the third day in the morning, which is funny, Jesus was raised from the dead, and the third day on the morning, on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And it was on the third day, there was thunders and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of a trumpet that was really loud and all the people in the camp trembled and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. Third day, the resurrection, when you connect with this, when you spend your time and just get that revelation saturated in your life, you're going to understand you have closeness, intimacy, and fellowship with God like, like nothing before. And it's not because God's moved any closer to you. It's that you've realized that you've been raised up into a new life with him. And you are now a child of God by virtue of birth. You're a part of the bride of Christ because you've become one with Jesus in life. The two will become one is what it says about marriage. And we've been joined together and made one spirit with him. Do you know you have intimacy with God? You have a relationship with him in a way that you couldn't actually improve upon right now, even if you tried? Do you know what the difference is? Some of us believe it and some of us don't. So there, I'm telling you, there's a revelation coming. There's a revelation that you can tap into. There is a revelation of the union of God, the closeness of God to you right now that I'm telling you will make your relationship with God something uh, fruitful, something fulfilling, something satisfying if you can let go of the idea that you need to do something to get closer. If you can drop that, if you can leave that, if you can understand the resurrection has raised me up and put me in a position with the Son of God where I have deep intimacy with Him just because we're one, where I have intimacy with the Father because I share the relationship that Jesus has with Him, you're not going to struggle another day for a better relationship with God. You're going to wake up and you're going to live confident that my Father loves me, He accepts me, and I have the very same relationship with Him that Jesus does. I think it's in John chapter 5 where Jesus says, nobody knows the Father except for the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. When you understand you've been raised up together with Him, His life is on the inside of you. You and Him are like this. That relationship is yours. There's no hindrance. There's no impediment. You get to, you get to know the Father intimately and deeply the way that Jesus does. Not in the sweet by and by, not later, but today. Right now, the heart of God is equally available to all of us just as it is to Jesus. And the problem is we just need to take that time. We just need to let that spirit of wisdom and revelation open our eyes, flood our hearts with light, and cause us to see it and believe it. I mean, it sounds so good. I mean, there, there's, there's, a, there, there's a whole industry built out there about how to get closer to God and how to have a better relationship with God and the six steps to the seven ways of how to know Him and how to experience Him. But I'm telling you what, if you will just embrace the fact that He has raised you up into a life of intimacy and fellowship and it's yours by just virtue of being in Christ, 
You don't need all that stuff. Throw it out. Just embrace it. Just enjoy it. This is the benefit of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He's raised you into that relationship. Uh, the, you know what? It's a time of authority and leadership. Third day stuff. It was after three days. Three days that the officers went through the camp in the book of Joshua. It was on the third day that God said to Joshua, I'm going to raise you up and distinguish you and let everybody know that I'm with you, just like I was with Moses. Third day living, life connected in and out of the resurrection of Jesus is going to bring excellence, distinction, and authority in your life. It's going to make you a leader. It's going to make you a person of influence in your circle and in your sphere. And this is true for everybody who participates in the life of Jesus. There is an inner propulsion towards greatness that finds its source in your share in his divine nature. You've been grafted into the very nature of God himself. He himself, the excellent one, the creator of heaven and earth, the ultimate leader lives inside of you. And when you find yourself connected with that resurrection life, leadership, authority, excellence starts to emerge out of your life. Not only did he raise us up with him, but he made us sit together with him in heavenly places. That's a position of authority. A lot of things happen in the world when believers understand their authority and they speak things out and they release the power of God and the authority of God. And I'm telling you, once again, that is not something that you need to strive or struggle or fight to get into. That's something you need to realize you've been raised up into. That's something you need to know that by virtue of Christ's life inside of me, I have authority. Because the, the living one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords lives inside of me, I can demonstrate his royalty. I can demonstrate his kingly power in my life. Not because I've done anything. Not because I've achieved a certain status, but because he lives inside of me. It's he who lives in me. It's a time of completion and realization. The third day, it was on the third day that the temple was finished, and the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the rest of the descendants of captivity celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. It was on the third day that the, uh, the, the, the returning exiles out of uh, captivity came and rebuilt the temple. And didn't Jesus say to the people in his time, I'm going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days? Third day is a time of completion, and here's what that looks like when you're connected in your faith to the resurrection. Colossians 2, 10 says that you are complete in him. The life that you've been given from Jesus is a complete and a whole life. You don't have a, 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 an internal problem with the life of God inside of you. There's not something you're growing up into. It's a revelation you're growing into, but what God has done in you is so sufficiently whole and so complete that if you can connect with that by faith, I'm telling you, a lot of things in your world will shift. See, some of us have transitions and promises and things on the other side that we want to get to because our hope for significance, for identity, for feeling complete, it resides in those things that we do or the experiences we have or the stuff that we have. But if you can see that because you've been raised from the dead with Jesus, you are complete. You are whole. And you can find that wholeness and that completeness in him and not in the stuff in your world. It's a time of completeness. We're not stepping into something because we need it in the sense that I'm incomplete and not fulfilled without it. Don't find your completion, your fulfillment in a person. Don't find it in an event. Don't find it in your calling, your job, or anything like that. Find completeness in Christ. Let the resurrection life of Christ inside of you make you whole. And you know what? Sometimes that is a process. Sometimes it takes time. I'm not saying rush it, but I'm saying determine this, that you're going to find your worth, your significance, your identity, and your value in the love of God for you and in the internal life of Christ in your life. You don't need a cheap fix somewhere else. You don't need to give yourself to somebody in order to get that. 
There's somebody who's given himself to you. You can receive it, embrace it, and walk in it. And finally, and like I said, there's literally so many of these third-day examples, but, but here's a favorite one. On the third day, it's a time of the best wine, healing, miracles, and glory. I don't know if you remember the story of uh, Jesus in, in the book of John where he goes to a wedding. Well, it's on the third day that this wedding happened. I think that's a deliberate, intentional reference again. It was on the third day that this wedding happened, and the people who were running the wedding ran out of wine. Jesus' mom comes to him and says, hey, can you, can you hook us up? Can you do something for us? He's like, no, nah, not my time. And I, I don't know if she pestered him or whatever, but uh, eventually he's like, okay, okay. So he tells the servants or the workers, he says, go, go fill up. There's six water pots. Go fill those up with water. And so they do. And uh, they go to draw the water out. And it's turned into the most amazing wine. And the people at the wedding are just shocked. They're like, wow, oh my goodness, usually you served the best wine at the beginning, but you saved your best wine until now. And here's the thing. Six water pots. Six is representative of humanity. It's not the devil, by the way. Humanity was created on the sixth day. In the resurrections, Jesus takes humanity and he upgrades it. He turns the water into wine. He turns the water of the word. He turns it into life. He turns letter into spirit. He upgrades humanity from what it once was to humanity joined in partnership with the divine. He takes the human nature out and he says, now you've been joined together with divine nature. You can read that in 1 Peter. There's an upgrade that happens. There's power to transform the world around us that's inherent in our share in Christ's life. It's inherent in who we are as people. I don't know if you've heard third-day teachings in the past, but I'll tell you what, there's not a third-day dispensation of power that God's reserved for the last days. We're in those, and third day is a reference to resurrection. What the church is waiting for, what the church, and I'm talking historically now, has failed to do, is failed to take the lesson of Joshua, has failed to stay there for three days and gathered the provision and gathered the revelation. The church has launched out into all sorts of projects throughout time, throughout centuries and millennia. The church has tried to do things, and only a few here and there throughout history have actually really grasped and let the revelation of the resurrection power of God inside of them actually affect what they did. But there's a time. There's a time that God has for us. And it's not because it's any special moment on a, t on, on a calendar. It's because by the spirit of wisdom and revelation, God is saying to the church, hey, you know what? It's time to get rooted and grounded in this. Don't head out on day one. Don't head out on day two. Don't wait till day four. Head out on day three. Gather your provisions. Gather your revelation. Get rooted in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Let that fundamental truth of Christianity not be something that you just kind of do on Easter or we just kind of think about every once in a while. That is literally the source of our life. The resurrection is the message that the apostles preached. It brought the persecution, but I'd argue it brought the power. They knew it. They knew they were raised from the dead. They knew it. They knew it to such an extent that they would do anything just to be together. They would do anything just to celebrate community together. They would do anything just to be able to preach the word. And literally, they gave their lives in the millions through the centuries because they knew, hey, I've already been raised from the dead. Death has no power over me. Death has no hold on me. And they advanced and they did things because they were so confident that the indestructible life of Christ inside of them, when they acted out of that, they couldn't be stopped. It's incredible. It's incredible. So let's be like, let's, let, let's do that. I mean, let, let's, let's heed the warning of Joshua. Let's spend some time. Let's gather our resources. Let's gather our supplies. Let's be intentional about saying, God, give me revelation. 
of what it means to be raised from the dead with Jesus. Give me revelation of the living one on the inside of me. And I just want to end with this, with Ephesians. I want to pray this for all of us. I pray it for you, pray it for me. I pray this prayer often, frequently, for, for us as a body, for the church in London, for the church in southwestern Ontario, for the church across the western world, because I think we desperately need it. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That the eyes of our heart, I mean the person that you are deep on the inside of you, that, that, that inner person that you are, at the deepest cellular level of your being, you would come to know and understand and be enlightened. That you would know at that level the hope of the calling of Jesus, that you would know at that level the riches of the inheritance that you have been born into, that we've been born into, that we would stop trying to qualify for it and by revelation embrace it, that we would stop trying to earn it, that we would stop teaching each other how to earn things, we would teach each other how to receive things, that our lives would be demonstrations to the world of a good father who just wants to pour out good things and there's a people on the earth who say yes. I pray that we would have that kind of revelation concerning the inheritance that we have and that the eyes of our heart would be open, that we would know the surpassing greatness of his power. The power he exerted, not when he did that little trick over there, when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That we would connect internally, be made alive and connect to that life. So I'm telling you, that's, that's the source of your future. That's the source of everything that God wants to do in and through us. So Father, make it true. Make it real in each one of us. Make the revelation of Jesus alive and present in us real. Make it real to your church, Lord. Make it real to each one of us. Make it real to the church across the whole of this country. Let the reality of the risen Jesus just shine brightly in our hearts. May the person of Jesus Christ be demonstrated through us. May the reality of his life bring life. May the loosing and the releasing of his goodness through us cause others to be awakened to life. We thank you, Lord, for your power. Oh, my goodness. Power. The life we've been given, guys, is one of power. Power. Power.